I remember that Worm wouldn't look at me at breakfast that day. Since the fire, he'd forgotten the day that I threatened to punch him. His distance toward me resumed that morning as I endeavored to cut my eggs with my recessive right hand. With his right palm still bandaged, I watched him struggle with his recessive left. Weren't we a pair? Worm and me were what they call mirror image twins. This is when siblings develop reverse asymmetric features and is commonly found in one quarter of all monozygotic twins. In many cases, eye and skin coloration, hair parts, and irregularities appear opposite each other. In our chirality, it also affected our writing hand. Worm was a righty, and I a lefty. Through my peripheral vision, I watched Worm's eyes follow the hideous blue cast that sheltered my healing arm. His silence at breakfast wasn't out of the ordinary, and I was glad that he had countered my outburst with silence rather than accusation. I was afraid of the rage I felt the previous morning and couldn't explain what I was thinking when I punched the wall. Granted, my bellicose disposition was commonplace when confronting bullies, playing sports, and protecting worm, but reacting violently against sorrow, against grief and mourning. I looked across the table at my mirror image, who never lifted an angry finger in his life. I struggled to comprehend how easily I lost control and how quickly my reflex turned to violence. It resolved nothing, brought me no comfort and made no sense to me at all. My brother, the mirror before me, only served to reflect the magnified monster I was becoming. It was the second time that my natural response was physical, and thinking of Worm's return silence, I tried to decide which had caused more pain. The eggs on my tongue felt salty and insipid. I attempted to reoccupy my mind by watching the babysitter dab up the remaining yolk on her plate, first with a triangle of bread, then with her index finger, and slowly lick it off. She noticed my gaze and blushed slightly so that her cheeks matched the complexion of her hair but didn't refrain from seducing me with her tongue. Worm seemed oblivious to the exchange. Your aunt had to go to work, the babysitter said. She asked me to tell you to patch up the bathroom wall when you felt up to it. The first morning at Child Services boarding house, I noticed that the sound of washing dishes made me feel slightly queasy. That same afternoon, I doubled over in the trash can and vomited my lunch. The sight of blood pumping from jagged gashes over food-encrusted plates had triggered a lifelong neurosis that I still feel to this day. As the redhead started on dishes, I fled to the upstairs bathroom and breathed deeply into my nose and out of my mouth, waiting for the nausea to pass. When my legs steadied, I approached the hole and tested the size of my casted fist against it. The blood had soaked in the ruptured lip of the drywall and remained an unsettling mauve. I waited for the water to shut off and ventured back downstairs to find some spackle and drywall tape. Worm had loaded up his backpack with journals and passed me on my way back upstairs. Write, dinner, he muttered in Zeniva. It took it to mean that he was going out to write and wouldn't be home until dinner. I nodded and trudged past him toward the bathroom. Taping over the hole, I mixed the drywall paste with water and waited for it to set. When it reached the right consistency, I scooped some out and smattered it through the tape with my fingers. Careful not to spatter my past, I meticulously filled the hole and used a straight edge to flatten it and remove the excess. Forty-five minutes later, the hole was gone and replaced by a warm gray spot of drying paste. As I was admiring my work, the redhead entered and stood before me. 
Nice work, she whispered into my ear. The smell of lavender and vanilla flooded my nostrils, and I turned around, my face inches from her chest. Her freckled cleavage invited me, and I deeply inhaled her perfume. I think you got just as much on you as you did on the wall. I looked down and realized that the child services replacement clothes were spattered and daubed with drywall paste. I'll get you a bag to put over your cast so you can bathe, she said as she left. I fingered the extra large globs off my arm, neck, and clothes and awkwardly pulled the shirt over my head where it got stuck. There I struggled for a few minutes until the redhead returned, found me writhing beneath the shirt, and laughed. I felt her hand slide up my ribs as she untangled it from my cast and freed it from my body. She wrapped a trash bag around my arm and knotted the edge to sheath the navy blue plaster from the thread of water. Strip, the sitter said, and turned to start the bathwater. I stood there dumbly and enjoyed the view of her arched back and rear while she tested the temperature of the water with her fingers. When my nerve and motor skills returned, I seated stomped my shorts and boxers to the floor, and stood there naked to her back. She turned quickly and exited the bathroom without glancing my direction. I felt the decline of a false sense of excitement and stepped into the tub as it filled and foamed. Moments later, she returned with a loofah and shut off the water. I sat motionless, arms raised above the warm, soothing water, and watched her kneel beside the tub. In my mind, I tried to think of the last bath I'd taken. I could only remember one time when Eli put me and Worm in the tub together after a playful, impromptu spaghetti fight. We must have been four or five years old. This felt nothing like that time. Keep your arms up, the redhead said, and dipped the loofah in the water before lathering it with a cracked and wizened almond cake of soap. The shape reminded me of Aunt Cecily's lips, blood-drained, waxen, and choked with a foamy spit. It made me shudder in the tub. Up, the babysitter repeated, as my arms protectively dropped toward the surface of the water. She scrubbed my right arm, both armpits, my sides, and skipped down to my feet. I felt the thrill return for moments before and crossed my arms behind my head, leaning back. The redhead worked her way up to my thighs and then gently pried my legs apart. She then skipped back up to my chest and stomach, slowly honing in on my waist. By the time she arrived, the loofah had been discarded, where it now floated between the atolls of my toes. Her fingers cupped my testicles, and a gasp escaped my lips. She looked into my eyes and smiled as she held me. I felt myself expanding in her touch as my eyes fluttered back in my head. I arched my back, pressing myself harder against her as she gently worked my growing boyhood between her thumb and forefinger. This was the first time I'd been touched by somebody else, and, lubricated by the water, it sent a current of electricity through every inch of me. Colors swirled in my eyelids, and I experienced synesthesia, a vibrant spectrum of emotion, when I dared to open my eyes. The puckered ceiling was awash with purples and greens, the sitter's gaze had left my face and drifted down to the clearing of suds where her hand now disappeared. Her other hand gently caressed my chest and stomach as I felt myself getting closer to climax. I moaned in ecstasy when it quickly arrived, and she continued to massage me until I was limp. I heard her shake off the excess water and rise to her feet. Beneath a rampant heartbeat, 
I struggled to catch my breath and eventually reopened my eyes. She turned to the mirror and spoke to it while she fixed her hair. I'm concerned that William hasn't accepted what happened with your brother and mom, she said. I want you to talk to him. She glanced back to see me nod and left without another word. Three days later, as I abandoned my virginity inside her fiery red folds, it was her turn to close her eyes and moan.